to the Parkinson's Road podcast and I'm your host Tanya. Welcome back to the show. I want to start off today's episode by thanking everyone for their patience in waiting for its release. I know I'm behind schedule, but unfortunately, the person whom I had invited to be on today's episode, which was supposed to be about oral hygiene and Parkinson's, had a very serious family medical emergency she had to attend to and won't be available for several more weeks. We are still planning on doing the episode. It's just going to be postponed. So thank you for your patience. I also wanted to tell you guys my good news. Well, it's good news to me. Some of you may know that I have been working for the last several weeks on getting my certification to become a personal trainer here in British Columbia, Canada, and I'm almost done my course. I just have about another week left of work to do. And then I have to write my exam and then I, I hopefully if I pass, I'll be certified personal trainer. And this morning I found out that I've been hired at the gym I've been training at. So next Wednesday at 9 a.m. is my first day on the job. I won't be taking clients at this point. I will still be onboarding with the company and I still have to finish my coursework and take the exam and pass before I'm allowed to see clients. Being on the floor and being able to interact with potential clients is a great opportunity for me to get out there and get my face known so that people will hopefully want to train with me when I am certified. So if you're ever in Nanaimo, British Columbia, Canada and you want to have a good workout, Come and see me at Steve Nash Fitness World. So what is today's episode about? Today we're talking about sugar cravings and Parkinson's disease. I don't know about you, but I sure find myself craving sweets way more than I used to. I asked some of my friends who also have Parkinson's disease if they had the same issue, and the response was a resounding yes from almost every single one of them. So I did a little investigating and it turns out this is a really common issue with Parkinson's and I wanted to know why it happens. But before we get into that, what is sugar? Do you know what it is? I didn't, so I looked it up. And sugar is the generic name for sweet tasting carbohydrates. Anything that's not a protein or a fat is a carbohydrate. Many of these carbohydrates are found in food. Simple sugars or monosaccharides are glucose, fructose, and galactose, which is milk sugar. Compound sugars, also known as disaccharides or double sugars, are molecules composed of two monosaccharides joined by a glycosidic bond. Common examples of these are sucrose, which is a glucose plus a fructose, lactose, which is glucose plus galactose, and maltose, which is two molecules of glucose. In the body, compound sugars are hydrolyzed into a simple sugar, or glucose, and then it is delivered to cells where it's converted to energy, which is used to carry out various functions in our bodies, like muscle contractions, body temperature regulation, and to power our brains. I don't like to use good and bad when it comes to food. Sugar is sugar is sugar, no matter what the source is, the body breaks it down into glucose. But as a really simple rule, sugar that is found in whole unprocessed foods, such as fruits, vegetables, legumes, and whole grains, has a positive impact on our body. And the sugar that is added to things like coffee or used in baked goods or it's hidden in processed foods like sauces, ready-made meals, and drinks like pop can have a negative impact on our bodies if, if too much of it is consumed. Now that we kind of have a rough understanding of what sugar is, why do we crave it? I think that there are multiple reasons why we crave sweet things. But the most basic one is that we are hardwired through evolution to want to eat it. We are also conditioned from a very early age to associate food, mostly sweet treats like candies, pies, cakes, etc. with comfort and happiness. Sugar also has addictive properties. It can behave like street drugs in our brains and it is added to much of the food we consume in the Western world. So we're often hooked on sugar from a very early age. Add to that the dysfunction of, in the brains of people with Parkinson's disease and you have the recipe for some pretty serious sugar cravings. The brain is very smart. It's a brain after all. And it does its very best to keep us alive. 
despite our best efforts at times. So when we do something that our brain perceives as beneficial to our survival, like eating, having sex, and nurturing others, it rewards us by releasing dopamine, making us feel good so we will do it again. And this reward-based system is the mesolimbic dopamine system, and here is how it works in a normal, healthy situation. In our brains, there's an area called the ventral tegmental area, and it is one of the principal dopamine-producing parts of the brain. And the mesolimbic dopamine pathway connects it with an area of the brain called the nucleus accumbens, which is found in a part of the brain that is strongly associated with motivation and reward called the ventral striatum. When we are exposed to that rewarding stimulus, so we do the thing the brain thinks is good, dopamine neurons in the ventral tegmental area are activated, and information then travels from there to the nucleus accumbens and up into the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that is responsible for making decisions. In the prefrontal cortex, there's uh, hormones are activated that tell our body, this is good, let's do this again. So like I said, we do the thing, the brain says, good job for doing the thing, here's the reward, so you'll do the thing again. And we, we continue to do these things so that the species is perpetuated. So we're literally hardwired to want to eat sugary foods because the brain recognizes it, it as a good source of fuel. Now remember I said sugar has addictive qualities similar to drugs? Drugs fool the brain because they flood the brain with dopamine or dopamine-like molecules and trick it into believing that the drugs are necessary for human survival. Additionally, addictive drugs can release two to 10 times the amount of dopamine that natural rewards do, and they do it more quickly and reliably. So that good feeling you get when you do something pleasurable like eat a piece of chocolate, well imagine that times 10, and that's what doing drugs does to the brain. But over time, drugs become less rewarding and then craving for the drug takes over, so you're craving that feeling. The brain adapts to the effects of the drug. It's an, an effect known as tolerance. And because of these brain adaptations, for example, one of them would be that the brain will, will start to release less dopamine with each dose to self-regulate. People who develop an addiction find that the drug no longer gives them as much pleasure as it used to, and then they have to take more of it more often to feel good. So that's how addiction happens with drugs. Now let's compare that to sugar. Like drugs, consuming sugar spikes dopamine release in the nucleus accumbens. Both drugs and sugar flood the brain with dopamine. And over the long term, regular consumption of sugar actually changes the gene expression and availability of dopamine receptors in both the midbrain and frontal cortex. It physically changes our brain, how it works. Specifically, sugar increases the concentration of a type of excitatory receptor called D1, but it decreases another type of receptor called D2, which is inhibitory. So regular consumption of sugar also inhibits the action of the dopamine transporter, which is a protein that pumps dopamine out of the synapse and back into the neuron after firing. So what this means is that repeated consumption of sugar over time leads to prolonged dopamine signaling, greater excitation of the brain's reward pathways, and a need for even more sugar to activate all the midbrain dopamine receptors like before, just like drugs. And this is a problem because sugar is everywhere. And remember, the more you consume, the more you want it and the more you need to feel good. While sugar is a necessary fuel for our cells and drugs are not, they both hijack the reward system and fool our brains into wanting them all the time to the detriment of our health. But sugar is found naturally in foods like fruits, vegetables, grains, and dairy. And consuming whole foods that contain natural sugar is okay. In fact, it's important. Plant foods also have high amounts of fiber, essential minerals, and antioxidants, and dairy foods contain protein and calcium. Since your body digests these foods much more slowly, the sugar them offers a steady supply of energy to your cells. It sounds good, right? So what's the problem? 
where the problem comes in is that when you eat refined sugar foods, so baked goods or foods that don't have things like protein and fiber and all the phytonutrients that plant foods, for example, do, it's just like the floodgates get open and there's sugar is hitting our bloodstream and just overwhelming our bodies. So there's not all those other things to, to go with it. And it, it gets broken down too fast. And there's so much that your body can't utilize at all. It's got nowhere to store it. So the sugar gets sent down to the liver to be metabolized for storage as fat. And over time and with overconsumption, this leads to a greater accumulation of visceral fat, but it also increases your risk of hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, The sugar that is found in sugary beverages like pop and iced teas are especially problematic because they trick your body into turning off the appetite control system because liquid calories are just not as satisfying as calories from solid foods. But I don't really think I need to belabor all the problems that excessive dietary sugar can cause. I mean, we all know it's bad for us. So we've talked about how we are hardwired to crave high carbohydrate content foods and we've also discussed how they are addictive like drugs. So let's move on now to how we are conditioned to reach for high sugar content food. I want you to think back on your childhood. Think of a happy time or happy memory. For many of us, that memory revolves around food, like baking cookies with your mom or getting an ice cream after your soccer game or blowing out the candles on your birthday cake. Or conversely, maybe something happened to make you feel sad or you're anxious about something and you were given a treat to cheer you up. Because sugar does in fact make us feel better. And our brains naturally seek to soothe anxiety. So the association between feelings of comfort and food is quickly made and the behavior is reinforced through repetition. So for those of us with Parkinson's disease, we have the added dysfunction of the either death or dormancy of dopaminergic cells in our brains. In addition to that, we or many of us take dopamine replacement therapy drugs. And it doesn't really matter which drug that you have. They all act in some way to influence the dopamine levels in our brains. And that can cause difficulty in our brain regulating the reward system and cause a malfunctioning of that comfort-seeking feel-good response, which can lead to increased sugar cravings. So now I'll share with you what I'm doing and what I'm trying to implement in my life to try to curb these cravings or deal with the aftermath if I have slipped up and consumed too much extra sugar because hey, I'm human. The first step I felt that was probably the easiest to take was to do my best to regulate my dopamine levels because as we know, low dopamine levels can trigger sugar cravings. Your brain is looking for that feel-good boost. So because I take medications, for me, what that means is practicing good medication compliance. That means I take my medications routinely, on time, consistently. I monitor how my I respond to each dose and I'm doing my best to manage all the other factors that impact how my medications work, like protein intake around my medication doses, managing constipation, managing hydration, those kinds of things. The next thing I'm choosing to focus on is ensuring that my blood sugars remain stable. And how I'm choosing to do this is making sure I'm eating a balanced diet and ensuring that I'm consuming enough calories to meet my daily caloric need. I have received some requests to do an episode about nutrition or diet and Parkinson's disease, so I am going to talk a little bit more in depth about this in a future episode. But what I want you to understand today is that it is important to make sure that you keep your blood sugar levels stable 
so that you do not trigger more sugar cravings with a hypoglycemic episode. And by hypoglycemic, I mean low blood sugar. This next step may seem fairly obvious, but it's hard for a lot of people. And that's to avoid temptation. Don't keep that secret stash of candy bars in your drawer or the tin of cookies in the cupboard under the stairs. Don't keep trigger foods in your house. Not only by sneaking and hiding foods are you developing unhealthy eating patterns, but you're just setting yourself up for failure. If food is readily available when you're having the craving, you're going to give in. Set yourself up for success and keep it out of the house. Have you ever noticed that when you're really tired, you also crave sugar? That's your body or your brain looking for that boost of energy. And while it may work temporarily, it will lead to a crash. So it's important that we do our best to get as much good quality sleep as we possibly can. Now, I understand for many of you, sleep is an issue. So just keep doing your best to get as much good quality sleep as you can. For me, how I am implementing good sleep hygiene is making sure that I am going to bed and waking at the same time every day or as close to it as possible. I have found that if I get too little sleep, I don't, I feel bad. But if I get too much sleep, I also feel bad and it makes me feel disoriented and groggy. Sleep is really important and we need to make it a priority. Now I've also tried some supplements that are supposed to help with sugar cravings. One of them was tyrosine. Now it plays a critical role in the development of dopamine and as we know maintaining dopamine levels can eliminate the desire to overeat those reward foods. Foods that are high in tyrosine are fava beans, duck, chicken, ricotta cheese, oatmeal, mustard greens, edamame, dark chocolate, seaweed, and wheat germ. But those are not foods that I would really eat on a regular basis so I try to supplement and it's really important for you to understand that tyrosine does compete with levodopa in the small intestine for absorption so you have to time it appropriately. I did try this supplement and it definitely caused my levodopa to fail so for me this isn't something I'm going to continue on with. There's also L-glutamine which is an amino acid that it is thought to act to balance blood sugar so it can help with sugar cravings in that way. It promotes satisfaction and fullness via its protein content and it is also an essential nutrient for maintaining a healthy gut lining. Since it is a building block for protein, you may be concerned about it interfering with the absorption of your medication. As of today, I cannot find anything to indicate that it could interfere with absorption, but it may be a good idea to treat this supplement like a protein when you're timing it with your medications. Distraction can also be a great approach to dealing with sugar cravings. Many of us have hobbies that we like to do, painting, writing poetry, building models, knitting, gardening, whatever your hobby of choice is. When you feel those cravings start, go and do it for 15-20 minutes if you can. For me, I practice my ukulele. Just that simple act of switching my focus helps to redirect my thoughts and oftentimes I'm able to distract myself long enough to allow the cravings to pass. And of course, exercise. You didn't think that I wouldn't suggest exercise, did you? (laughs) If you've listened to more than one episode of my podcast, you'll know that exercise is on my list for everything. Not only will exercise help you burn off those extra calories, but just the act of exercising will distract you from thinking about your sugar cravings. And there is some evidence that some types of exercise can help you trigger metabolic processes that make more blood sugar available to the brain, reducing cravings for sugary food. So it may actually help curb your cravings before they start. So make sure you get up and move your body every day. Sugar cravings can be really difficult to manage and sometimes you really just need to eat that piece of cake or uh, that piece of chocolate or whatever it is. You still have to be able to enjoy your life. 
but it's really important that you recognize when things get out of balance and when you're overindulging. Remember my episode about self-compassion? Don't beat yourself up if you slip up once in a while, but learn to recognize your triggers and create a plan for managing cravings when they happen. Set yourself up to succeed because remember, you, my friend, are worth the effort. reached the end of another episode of the Parkinson's Road podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and find the content helpful, please click on that little subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to head on over to Facebook and like the Parkinson's Road podcast page or follow me on Twitter at, you guessed it, Parkinson's Road podcast. I hope you'll join me next time as I'm going to share with you my journey with fitness after my diagnosis and what I have learned in becoming certified as a personal trainer. Until then, remember, eat less sugar because you're already sweet enough.